I'll tell you what, I'm just going to go ahead. I wasn't going to say this up front in the beginning, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you anyway, because this week has been full of gremlins, all right? Uh, last week, we talked about anger, and we talked about how it was a heart issue. And as we talked about anger and the heart issue and all the things that go with it, sometimes God likes to say, are you going to practice what you preach? And uh, so what he did this week for me was, after we talked about anger and after we talked about all the things that kind of go with it and how we should respond and we should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry, and we talked about that, uh, this week on Monday, uh, Christy had to go to an appointment on Monday morning, and she was supposed to have this paperwork that was supposed to go with her, and she drove across town and realized when she got there she didn't have it. That was the beginning of our week. Because while she was gone, she called me and said, hey, do me a favor and switch the towels over to the dryer when they're done. Well, I went into the laundry room area, and the washing machine wasn't running, so I assumed that meant it was done. It didn't. It meant the washing machine was done. And, uh, and I, I looked at it, and it was full of water and full of towels, which are not a good combination if you've ever smelled towels that have sat in water for a long time. And I sat there and went, okay, normally I would kick something, and I have to... Remember what we read, and as we read last week, we talked about it, even in James. I said, if you do me a favor, read through James, read 1 through 5 over the five days, Monday through Friday. I said, uh, verse 3 of chapter 1, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. That way God can teach you how to persevere. And I said, step 1 of perseverance. Here we, here we have it. And uh, so I was a little bit frustrated with that, trying to figure it out. I'm not a repair guy, but I found out the part was going to be pretty expensive, and I was like, great, that's all we need to do is have to get a, a new washing machine. And so we kind of were working through all the details with that, and as I was working through the details with that, I went to the kitchen, and I was going to fill up something in a, in a cup, and so I went to turn the sink on. As I turned the sink on, so the water shooting down, it shot this way, and I went, are you kidding me right now? And it said, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. And I, I was smiling as I said it, obviously, because I wanted to, to not smile. And uh, um, so the next day, we figured, you know, all those gremlins are worked out. And as those gremlins worked themselves out, I went into, uh, on Tuesday, we had some stuff cooking in the oven for, for lunch. And, and Maley and I were standing there looking, and this big flare-up happened inside the oven. And I went, what was that? And I was kind of looking, I'm like, oh, maybe something just dripped on the heating element. And I realized what we were cooking didn't drip. And so um, I opened it up, and after everything cooled off, I realized there's a big, huge hole burned in the heating element. Well, I'm not sure if you're aware of this or not, but when there's a huge hole in the heating element, it means it doesn't work anymore. And I said, are you kidding me right now? Washing machine, faucet, then the oven. So I went, God, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Thankfully, these trials are all first world problems, okay? So that was the good thing. That was the attitude I got to keep with it all. I said, surely nothing else can happen. So I went up to Lowe's, and I was going to buy a heating element to replace what was going on in the bottom of the oven as I went up to Lowe's, Christy called me. As a matter of fact, she called me a number of times. I had my phone on vibrate, didn't hear it, and I went, hey, what's going on? She goes, well, while you're there, can you look for a garbage disposal? Ours just stopped. And I went, are you stinking kidding me right now? And I just smiled because that's the only thing I could do. Well, what else was I going to do? And Christy's like, I'm impressed, because a couple of years ago, you probably would have broken something else. And I said, well, what the good thing was is the garbage disposal, I took a broomstick to, because that's what it said to do online, and I beat it. And whatever it was that was stuck in there, it's, it's good now, and it worked today. So that was good, and I was excited about it, and I got to take out my frustration on the garbage disposal. Now, with that being said, Mission Impossible is now going on. And as we look at Mission Impossible, I look at all the things that are taking place, and I'm not sure about you, but I love spy movies. I love secret agent movies. If I had to choose one genre of movie to get stuck watching, Mission Impossible, James Bond, the Bourne series, all of those would definitely fall on what I would love to sit and watch all the time. If I had to have one to choose from. I love car chases. I love explosions. I love 
the fight scenes. I love all the things that go on with it, but I think the thing I love the most about it all is the toys they get to play with. I'm not sure if you are into that kind of stuff. I was really, really disappointed last night in our Saturday night crowd. I'm just going to be honest with you. I asked two Mission Impossible questions, and nobody got them, and they were easy. So I'm going to ask them to you today, okay, and you can have an opportunity to get Whoppers or Red Vines. Your call on that one if you get the right answer the first time. Somebody tell me, and please don't disappoint me this morning, somebody tell me what the character's name is that Tom Cruise plays. Ethan Hunt is correct. Whoppers or Red Vines? Red Vines, coming at you. All right, so as we, as we have that, thank you so much. I, like, literally, I was going, it starts with an Ethan and ends with a Hunt, and people are like, what? I don't get it. And I'm like, come on, help me out here, please, please. And, uh, and then I said, he works for the IMF. I said, what does IMF stand for? And everybody went, anybody? Got it? Impossible Mission Force is correct, and Whoppers are coming your way. Here you are, sir. And uh, yeah, so I, this day is already so much better than last night. I'm just going to be honest with you. Because as I sat there and I talked about it, I was trying to use references from the movie, and everybody's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm talking about any Mission Impossible movie. And I'm like, these toys, they have such cool things that they get to play with. I said, you know, in the last one with Jeremy Renner, and he, there was Ghost Protocol, and he had the contact lens where if you blink twice, it took a picture of whatever it was, and it printed out inside the suitcase. I'm like, how cool is that? And everybody's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, just go home, okay, you, you sinners. Um, and... Uh, and, and that, that was what was going through my mind. I, I started talking about the, the one in this new movie. They have, the guy has a, an, a, a contact lens as well, but it's a camera. That he, the guys behind the scenes can see everything that this guy's seen. I'm like, that is just so awesome. What great tools. And what are the point of the tools? The tools are so they can get the job done. The tools are there so they can move forward. When you look at anything they're given, when you look at James Bond, I'm like, how awesome would it be to have a Jaguar, first of all? And second of all, one, that the grill folded down, and you get to shoot rockets out of that guy that's driving on Paseo at two miles an hour. Wouldn't that be great? Get out of the way. Oh, sorry, let me hit this button. I would buy that upgrade if it was available. Okay, and I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to say that. We talked about anger last week. So just erase that from the recording. But... We think about the tools. We think about the things we have and why we have it, why it's there. You know, and we think about Mission Impossible. There's so much to it. There's so much to Mission Impossible. And I think about the impossible mission that the church has been given. Because we, if you look at your pen, if you look at the door, if you look at the top uh, on the bulletins and so, so on and so forth, we have the slogan that says, come as you are, be changed, go change the world. What's it mean to change the world? How possible is that for us to do it? It's what God has called us to do, to go and change the world. But how do we do it? It's impossible to do it on our own. The great thing is, is that God gave us tools to be able to use it. And they're really cool tools. The problem is, a lot of times, we don't use them. And that's what I want to talk about today. That's what I want to talk about as we look at Mission Impossible, and the mission that we have, and what the tools are, and if we look at the book of Acts, like I said, if you've already flipped over to it, you'll see the tools that we have, and you'll see the things that we have, and I'm just going to be honest with you, I'm going to fly through the book of Acts. On Friday night, I had 21 pages of notes. 
On any given Sunday morning that I come and talk, I have seven to eight. So I had to cut a lot and cram a lot. As a matter of fact, uh, yes, amen, that's right, because you guys, you guys want to be able to go to dinner tonight. I understand that. So um, we, we are gonna, we're going to move through this, and there's going to be a lot of flipping. So go first, if you could, to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, because I want to show you one of the tools that was, actually, a lot of the tools that were given are listed in this. The one that's not listed is what was given in Acts 1.8, this talks about where the Holy Spirit's going to come down on us, and he's going to indwell us, and he's going to live within us. That is the first tool that we have that God has given himself so that we can accomplish the task that's ahead of us. And we'll see that task that's right there, because if you look, even if you flipped back to Matthew chapter 28, 19 and 20, we've talked about it before. Jesus says, we need to go and make disciples. And we need to make disciples of all nations. We need to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. And as we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Holy Spirit, we, we also are supposed to teach them everything that he's commanded. And we look at that and we say, man, that, is, that has got to be difficult. You have to think. It was 11 guys that had been following Jesus that had to have looked at him and said, how are we supposed to do that? And he said, haven't you been following me for the last three years? Haven't I been training you? Haven't I been? Oh, and by the way, the Holy Spirit's going to come down and he's going to help you out with this. And we see this begin to play itself out and we see them beginning to get together. And you know what they're doing when they're together? It's found in Acts 2.42. So if you have your Bibles with you, Acts 2.42, it says this. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. And we look at that and we say, man, that is an amazing picture of the first church. The group of believers coming together to listen to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and in the process of fellowshipping, they're breaking bread. And I know the first thing we think of breaking bread as, as Baptists is to think potluck, but that's not what it's talking about. What it's actually talking about is breaking a bread with the Lord's Supper, remembering what Christ has done on the cross, and that, that Lord's Supper that we're supposed to take to that level. And as we see that, we also see another tool. Prayer. Prayer. How often, as we look at what is going on in the first church, do we see that taking place 2,000 years later? I mean, the breaking of bread, yeah, some churches do it every week. Some churches do it. We're going to be doing it on our night of worship in a couple of weeks on that Saturday night that I encourage you all to come to, to be a part of it. We do our Be the Church weekend on Labor Day weekend. Lots of churches will do the teaching, fellowship, you know, challenge you to be a part of a connection group to plug in and do it as you also see they're doing this together that this is a together thing there's no lone sheep type thing and they're doing it together but also it's prayer let me ask you a question what do you think of when you hear the word prayer what's the thing that pops into your mind when you hear the word prayer if i said hey tonight i would like to encourage you all to come back at five o'clock for a prayer meeting how many of you guys would get excited about that being honest, I wouldn't even be excited about it, okay? That's not something, I remember as a kid, having to go to prayer meeting on Wednesday night because that was the Baptist thing. You just did those, that you were always at church every night of the week, and, and you were like, what are we here for? Except to hear that guy that just keeps talking, and that would be me nowadays. But, you know, that, that's, the, that's the thing, you're like, oh, I just, I, it's, it's not what it used to be. And why is that? How did it fall back so far? You know, we've been given a tool to accomplish a mission that God has given us. And we look back at the disciples, and when they were just 11, they were given the challenge to go change the world. You think 11 of them sat together and went, you know what? Let's go. 
Maybe Simon the Zealot, because he just had a really, let's go get him kind of attitude, but everybody else is like, hey, we're just fishermen. How can we go change the world? And as we see in the book of, of Acts, it progresses. And how does it progress? Well, it starts off with them right here, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Prayer wasn't, wasn't, fun, uh, wasn't a supplement to what they were doing. It was fundamental. It was what drove what they were doing. It's how they moved. And I'm convinced that the disease of the modern church is that we've switched that around. That church is go, 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 and when we need prayer, we'll throw it in. And that's the wrong way. It should be pray, 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 and when we need to go, that's what we do. As we are going, we're praying. And what we're going to do today, like I said, is we're going to dive into the book of Acts. And we're going to look at it because in the book of Acts, there's, there's more mentions about prayer than any other book in the New Testament. And as we see how they're going and how the prayer life of the church unfolded, so did the mission unfold. See, this isn't even part of my notes, but this was something I was looking at this week, was, was the fall of the Roman Empire. See, when, when these, these guys were called out to go, the Roman Empire was not, was not nearly as nice as we are today. And we look outside and we say, how can we change the world? The world's such a crazy place. You have to think, when these 11 guys looked out, they looked at the Roman Empire that did nothing but, but worship themselves and they were brutal, and they didn't care about people. They didn't care about anything. You know, reading some of the stories about, you know, we, we get really worried about abortion, which is something we should be worried about. At the same time, you look at the Roman culture, and they would actually have a baby, and they say, well, you know what? I really don't want it. And they would throw it outside and let the wild dogs have at it. That's the culture that these 11 disciples said, how can we go change that? And as I read about the Roman culture and I saw the way the Roman culture happened, you realize these 11 guys who were influenced by Jesus himself went and changed the world because of prayer? You know how I know they changed the world? Because if you go on history.com or any of those kind of things like that and you look at the fall of the Roman Empire, you know what the number one reason for the fall of the Roman Empire was? Christianity. That's what all historians will say. And they look at it in a negative way. They didn't influence it. They weren't quite as brutal. And because they weren't quite as brutal, they were able to be taken over by others and so on and so forth. And I say, that's not a negative thing. That's a positive thing. They went from being hateful to having love. And this change took place. And in 313, when Constantine made Christianity the, the, the religion of Rome, it changed everything. And it took a couple hundred years for it to happen, Yes. But it changed everything. And how did it start? Acts 2.42. These 11 guys who then brought in 100. And as we see, that 100 went to 3,000. That 3,000 added 5,000. And it just happened over the span of chapter 2 and chapter 3 and chapter 4. But even still, I want to see the foundation as it unfolds in Acts 3 verses that I want to point out to you. One is Acts 2.42, we just read. But the other two are this. Acts 1.14. It says, and these with one accord, they were together were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. There's Acts 2.42 that we've already talked about, devoting themselves to prayer and to fellowship and to hanging out together and being a part of one another. Acts 6.4 is also one. When they're choosing those who would serve the role of deacons. And I'll actually go back to verse 3 to kind of put it out there for you. It says this, Therefore, brothers, pick out from you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty of being servants. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. 
All three of those verses had two words in common. You know what the two words were? Devote and prayer. Devote and prayer. Do you guys know what it means to be devoted? If you're married, I hope you know what it means to be devoted. To be devoted to one another, to go out there and join constantly together. It's a term meaning devotion, dedication, or to be completely loyal to. So when it says they were devoted to prayer, it means they were completely loyal to prayer. It wasn't an afterthought. It was what was taking place. And as we look at today's church, would we say that is the definition of our prayers? Are we completely devoted to that? And what I want to do today, as we look at the fact they were devoted and they were devoted themselves to prayer, is what it means for an individual in a church to be devoted to prayer. What it means for us to be involved in prayer, that they would give themselves over completely to prayer. You realize there's over 30 different instances of how they prayed just in the book of Acts, in the 28 chapters that are there. I want to show you two stories. And like I said, I had 21 pages worth of notes, so I had to cram it down to two stories. I want to share two stories. One's found in Acts chapter 4. The other one's found in Acts chapter 12 of the people praying. So go with me to Acts chapter 4, verse 23, where we're going to start at. We're going to look at how prayer influenced what was going on there. And as we do, I think we should probably pray and ask God to speak to us this morning in a way of how important prayer really is. So let's do that. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. And thank you for these initial 11. They didn't see it as impossible, but they saw it all possible through you. And God, whatever circumstance we might be facing today, whatever we might be going through, God, I pray that you are speaking to us, that it is possible through you and through your word and through your will. We pray it all in your name. Amen. Acts chapter 4, verse 23, it says this. Well, let me give you a little bit of uh, background to it. Really, it's the beginning of the persecution of the church. And the persecution of the church and, and the, some of the, the leaders had to go before uh, the Sanhedrin had to go through. And they, they said, hey, you guys got to stop talking about this Jesus. We killed him. You guys aren't supposed to be continuing to move this stuff forward. So we're ready, we're ready for you guys to be done. And if you don't stop it, you're going to get it. All right? And that was kind of the, the, the Matt Sellers version of it all. And this is verse 23 where it picks up. And when they were released, these leaders, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. What's that mean they did? They prayed. They prayed. What did they pray? As you hear about this persecution of the church, and you know, there's a lot of talk about right now about the persecution of the church getting worse and worse as we move through in America, how it's becoming more and more of a, of a negative thing and that we're going to be held down and this kind of thing. What do we pray? Verse, four gives, or verse 24 gives us the answer in chapter 4. Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they're meeting in Jerusalem, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. You know what they're saying right there? We understand that you're in control. And we understand that this is your plan, that this is what's supposed to take place. And we saw what they did to Jesus. Now they're going to talk about doing it to us. So this is what we pray in verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Did they pray for protection? Did they pray that, God, please don't let us be persecuted? God, please let us have the freedom that we need to have so we can continue our comfortable lives. They pray for boldness. What's that mean? 
We're ready to move forward. We're going to go against everything they are because we're for who you are. And it says this in verse 30, while you stretch out your hand to heal and the signs and wonders perform through the names of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, they walked away hoping that God had heard their prayers and praying that hopefully someday it would happen. Nope. It says the place was shaken and they all filled the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. It meant they moved forward. And you know what? When was the last time you were at a prayer meeting and some shaking took place? Other than you being shaken by the guy next to you and saying, it's time to get up. You know, the, when was the last time? We, we don't experience that. And I think the reason why, if you read through the book of James with us this week, it says, you do not have because you do not ask. I think that's really true. That's the portrait of the early church. That's a portrait of the way they went forward. They prayed earnestly for this thing, and God answered their prayer. Now turn over to Acts chapter 12. Like I said, I have two foundational stories I want to hold on to, and this one is is about Peter being arrested, and it kind of sets the stage of all the things that are about ready to take place, because really this is kind of Peter's last real mention in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 12, and there's still, what, 16 more chapters to go. And Luke tells us this. In Luke, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 1, verse, uh, sorry, Acts chapter 12, verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John's, with a sword. What that means is he chopped his head off. He took his head off. So that's the picture that we see right here. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to also arrest Peter. This was, days during, the, this was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Why would he need four squads of soldiers to guard one guy? Think about that. Intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest. You know what earnest prayer is? It's with intense conviction. That's what the word earnest means. Earnest prayer for him was made by God, or to God, by the church. And this is what happens. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping. I want you to pause for just a second. I want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes. Tomorrow's the day you're going to have your head chopped off with a sword. What are you doing tonight? Not sleeping. Okay? I'm not sleeping if I have chains wrapped around me anyway. But this guy's getting ready to die tomorrow. And he has some sort of weird peace about him that's allowing him to sleep right now. Not sure where that comes from. Maybe we'll figure that out here as we look, okay? He's sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. Now I want you to picture this, okay? We're going to go movie theater style here. It's like this amazing entry of this angel. It's like, and it's just glowing light and everything shone throughout the cell. What would you do if that happened in your bedroom while you were sleeping soundly? You'd wake up and go, what? What's he do? He doesn't do anything. Because this anti, or this climactic moment becomes an anticlimactic moment when he's like, Peter, get up. Didn't you just see how I entered? Shouldn't you have woken up and been like, wow? And instead, you're still, you know, that's what's going on right now. It says he had to strike, strike him on the side to wake him up. 
And he says, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. Look what it says next. He did not know what was being done by an angel was real. He just thought he was dreaming. Oh, this is pretty cool. You know, I uh, just kind of wandered along, following an angel. You know, who knows what's going on in Peter's head here? He didn't think it was real. And when they had passed the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city, and it opened for them on its own accord. And they went out and went along one street. Immediately the angel left him. And the Peter came to himself and said, Whoa. Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod, from all the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, he went into the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose name was Mark. And there were many gathered together, and they were doing what? They were praying. They were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice. Who is it? Peter. What? It's Peter? No way. This is awesome. We've been praying for you. Guess what she forgot to do? Open the door. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. And they said to her, what? You're crazy. Why don't you leave us alone while we pray for the release of Peter, okay? We're trying to pray for him right now. You're interrupting what we're doing right now. We're asking God for a miracle. Shut up. Go away. But you don't understand. And look what she says. But Peter continued knocking, and she kept insisting. And they're like, no. No, it's his angel. Just go away. And he kept knocking, and when they opened, they saw him, and they were a what? They were amazed, astonished. What? How is this happening? Guess what, guys? You were just inside, and you were praying. And as you were praying, God answered that prayer. You ever feel that way? Like, you're asking God with just the deepest depths of your heart, and then he answers it, and you're like, why did you do that? How'd this happen? How'd that all become possible? I see it often in others' lives. I see it in my life. I'm like, I'm supposed to be surprised that God did what he said he was going to do. And they were amazed, but motioning to them with his hand, kind of the Obi-Wan Kenobi, be silent. He described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. He said, tell these things to James and the, bro- and the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. Now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined that four groups of guards that were there, and he ordered they all should be put to death. That stinks. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, and asked for peace, because they were, the country depended on the king's country for food. And on that appointed day, he put on his royal robes, he took up seat on the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, this is a voice, from God, a voice of God, not of a man. And immediately, because Herod didn't correct them and say, I'm not a God, I'm merely just a man, God had had enough with him. That was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. He'd had enough of him, and he struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. That is Gross. I'm not sure if I've ever seen, I mean, there's some days that I've seen some people get up there to talk, and I'm like, man, it'd be awesome, God, if you just, worms ate him, and he fell over dead, it'd be good. Out of the eyeballs, out of the ears, nose, mouth, it'd be gross, but entertaining. And, and so, I'm sure the Christians were like, hey, this is Herod, this is the guy that's done all these things wrong, and God said, that's it. You didn't give me the glory for all this, you're out. 
the cool thing is, is after all the things that have done, verse 24, but the word of God increased and multiplied. All the things that Herod wanted to do to destroy the church, but the word of God increased and it was multiplied. How did that happen? Prayer. Prayer. And that's just two examples. Two examples, and those two examples lead me to three questions. And I'm going to try and get through these questions as quickly as I possibly can. And as these questions are, there's a viewpoint of ours and a viewpoint of theirs. A viewpoint of our church today and the Church of America today and their church, the first church, as they push through. The first question is, is who do you pray to? Who do they pray to? Who do you pray to? And I ask that question for this reason because it's a huge question. People all around the world are praying. Hindus are praying. Muslims are praying. Mormons are praying. Jehovah's Witnesses are praying. Baptists are praying. Catholics are praying. Who do you pray to? Who do you pray to? If we look at them and we see who they prayed to, we can go back to that prayer in chapter 4 and how they open up the prayer. Do you guys remember the first two words they said? Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. Not dear Heavenly Father. Not dear God. Not even Dad. Sovereign Lord. Do you know why they opened up with Sovereign Lord? Because they understood that He was in control. Because that's what sovereign means. It means who is in control. The God who is sovereign over everything. They knew who was in control. They knew who was in control of the world. They knew who was in control of their life. When you say the word Lord, do you know what Lord means? It means the one who's in control. There's a Lord and there's a servant. There's a master and there's a slave. And that's what the Lord is. The Lord is the master. The slave doesn't get to tell the master what to do or how to do it. It's the other way around. And when they say sovereign Lord, they're saying you're the one in control, not me. How often do we open our prayers up with sovereign Lord? We might say, dear Lord, but do we mean it? As a matter of fact, Jesus says in, I believe it's the book of Matthew, you say, Lord, Lord, but why don't you let me tell you what to do and actually do it? And we look at that and we see that and we understand it's because they know who's in control. They understood Psalm 24, 1, when it says, the earth is the Lord and everything in it. He is sovereign. Sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. They said, we know what happened in chapter 4. We know what happened to Jesus was all by your plan. And that plan has worked out really well for us 2,000 years later, but in the middle of it all, they probably didn't quite understand it. They probably didn't quite... God is there with every little detail that is going on. And it's amazing to think about that God is there and he's in control. They saw he was in control, so what did they pray for? Not for protection, but for boldness. Because they wanted to see the world change because that's what the mission was that was before them. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. I will, exalt in, oh, I will be exalted in the earth, and I will be exalted among the nations. God has a purpose, and he will accomplish it, and his purpose is to be exalted. Do we believe that? Do we truly believe that? When we pray, do we believe that God is in control? Not only is he sovereign, but he's also the God who supplies everything that we need. This is a little secret that you guys need to grasp onto. That God is the great supplier. And the church of Acts, they knew that. And in, we look, I'm, I told you I'm only going to use two stories, but I'm going to throw in this one really quick one. Acts chapter 17, verses 24 and 25. Paul is speaking in a place called Mars Hill. 
And as he's speaking at this place, these people are anti-God, anti-religion, anti-everything, and they don't want anything to do with it. And he goes out and he says, you know what, this is what's going to happen here. In verse 24 and 25, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. He's saying, guys, God is sovereign. He's not built into this little box that we have a tendency to put him in, whether it be the temple here or anything. He is over everything. He rules the world, being the Lord of heaven and earth, being in control of everything. He's saying that. In verse 25, he says, Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind breath and everything. Did you catch that? Everything. God is the provider of everything. He doesn't need us. He just gladly uses us when we make ourselves available. He doesn't need to use us in any way. He is God. He can can take control of all that. He just meant to say, I want you to pray to me and ask me, and I will pour out on you. If it's my will, that's where we're going with it all. I mean, look in Acts chapter 4. They said, God, we need boldness to proclaim your message. You know what happened? He gave them boldness to go proclaim the message. In Acts chapter 12, God, we need you to show deliverance. We just saw James get beheaded. Now we need deliverance for Peter. You know what he gave them? Deliverance for Peter, for his purpose. God shows it. God supplies everything they need to accomplish the mission that they've been given. What mission has God given you? And have you asked for him to provide that in that way? There's so many more. Like I said, I could run through them all the time. But, you know, we are a very self-sufficient people. When my stuff broke this week, I did not say, I need to call people. No, I said, I need to figure out how to beat this into submission. That was my, that was my thinking. I can handle this. I can make this happen. I can make these things all take place. And, and we have a tendency, even in coming before God, that we can do it on our own. And that is why we have this poverty of prayer. This poverty of prayer is due to the fact we don't see him as the great grace giver that he is. We don't see him that he is standing ready to give to us. We do not have because we do not ask. God is ready to supply for every need that we have for the mission that he's laid before us. Let me just give you a quick, short little side story to this. Um, You know, uh, we've adopted one child from Ethiopia. You guys have had an opportunity to meet him. Great, great kid. Let me tell you the beginning of that story that my two fears were this. One, that I wasn't ready. And two, we couldn't afford it. Because it's a big bill. It's like $38,000 after all is said and done. Guess what I don't have laying around the house? $38,000. God said, this is your mission if you choose to accept it. And I'm ready to take care of you and give you the tools to make it happen. When we walked away from that adoption with Ndali, we had absolutely zero loans that we had to take out. Because God provided. We have Levi and Lily waiting in the wings over in China. February. Kirsty says, I think this is where we need to go. And I said, I think that's crazy. Because the bill right there in front of us was $55,000. That was six months ago. Once again, I know you guys think I get paid a lot. I know. It's a big church and all. But the, the, whole, the whole thing is, is that I don't, okay? I, I, I'm not rolling in it. We do everything we can to budget everything out that we can possibly do. And we look at it and we say, $55,000, God, that's a, that's a huge task. That was February. As of yesterday, after our pancake breakfast that we had, the fundraiser pancake breakfast that we had, that about 240 people came to or so, um, 
We charge $5 per person just to kind of raise that fund. If you do your math, that's about 1250 bucks or so. That's what the maximum was I expected. And the lady who did all the money and wrote it all out and handed me the, the envelope and said, here it is, $3,200 came in. And that's exactly it. Because I can't, I can't take the praise for myself on that. I can't say, look what I did. And I can also tell you that at $55,000 with $3,200 coming in yesterday, we're about $4,000 short. And, and yeah, we, and that's not for me. That's, for, that's pla- clapping for God for sure. I, I mean, I get goosebumps thinking about, God, how in the world did you do it? How in the world did you do it? I, I didn't think we could. That was my biggest objection. God, we can't do this because $55,000 by November, that's impossible. And he said, you're right, it is for you. And that's mission impossible. We have a mission that has been set out, and your mission is different than mine. What is the mission that he's laid out for you? What is the neighbor that you keep saying, God, it is impossible that we're ever going to reach him with the gospel of Christ? And he's like, just talk to him. Talk to me. Ask him to open his heart, open his mind, open to who God really is, and let that take place. That happened for you. Somebody prayed for you that God would open your eyes and open your heart and open your mind, and now you're sitting in here. How's it different for them? We need to be praying. We need to be going and say, God, you've given me a mission. Now I need the tools. I've got the Holy Spirit. I've got prayer. You're going to do the rest. It's all about you. It's all about you. That is who we pray to, or whom, for you English teachers. That is whom we pray to. And we think about it and we go, oh, but God, I'm, I'm just not big enough, or I'm just not smart enough, or I'm just not religious enough. And he's like, I just want you to talk to me. I want you to ask. Let me take care of the other stuff. Mission impossible for us, but not for him. Second question, not only whom we pray to, but why do you pray? Why do you pray? Why do you pray? Right after verse 31, when they prayed for boldness and God gave it to them, it says this in verse 33 of Acts chapter 4. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and with great grace, it was upon them all. They prayed, and they were plugged in. And why did they pray? Because they prayed for God's power, and they prayed for God's grace. They prayed for God's power and God's grace. Acts chapter 1, they join together in constant prayer. And what happens as a result? If you go to Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the Spirit comes down in power. Peter stands up and preaches. As Peter stands up and preaches, they go and they pray. In Acts 2.42, that takes place. And you know what happens right after that? 3,000 people come to know Jesus. 3,000 people give their lives over and say, He is the Lord of my life. That went from 11 to about 120, to 3,120 in the span of a couple of chapters in the book of Acts. If I told you right here, right now, that if we got down on our knees and we prayed today, and we prayed today through next, next weekend, and we had a 24-7 prayer that you guys each took an hour and just prayed, God, open the eyes of our city. God, open the eyes of our state. God, open the eyes of our country and bless the churches with the people whose eyes are open that we go and we talk to and we share and they're receptive and they say, we want to be a part. And next week, we had 3,000 more people here. It'd be really warm in this building. And the fire department would probably not allow it, but we would make it happen. But if that were to happen... If we were to pray and God were to say, the result is going to be 3,000, would we do it? The answer is absolutely. Heck yes. 
Heaven, yeah. You know, that's the, that's the mentality. We would do it. The question is, is why are we not? Why are we not doing it? Do we not believe? It happened in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 3, one day John and Peter, they're going up to the temple, and they're going to do what? What do you think they're getting ready to go do? Pray. 3 o'clock in the afternoon, they're going to pray. And as they're going to pray, they walk by this guy that says, hey, do you guys have anything for me, you know, gold, silver? And Peter's like, hey, you know what? We, gold or silver, we don't have, but what we do have, I'll give you. Why don't you stand up and walk? And the guy's like, what? I've been lame my whole life. What do you mean? He's like, just get up and walk. Come on. And the guy's like, hey, look at this. I can, I can do it. And everybody's around like, hey, look at that. He can do it. And they went in to pray. And when they came back out from praying, you know what happened? Everybody's standing around going, what happened to that guy? How'd that happen? And they're like, well, let me tell you a little something. In this thing called Solomon's Porch, Peter gets up on, and he starts preaching, and guess what happens after Solomon's Porch? 5,000 people give their lives to Jesus. Because what? Where were they going? To pray. Why don't we pray? Maybe we should take time to get together and pray. And it starts with falling on our faces and realizing the power and the grace of God and that we are utterly dependent on it because that's where they are at. They were utterly dependent on it. They knew John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remain in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. It starts with falling on our faces. Do we really believe? Do we really believe that God can do those things? And if so, why don't we ask? Why don't we p- plug into his power? Why don't we plug into his grace? You know, why do we plug into programs? Why do we plug into ideas? Why do we plug into the, the idea of more work or, or more methods? Because that's the world's way. And when that's the world's way, and when the world's way it gives the opportunity for glory for man. But when we plug into prayer, and we plug into grace, and we plug into power, we understand that the one who gives the grace is the one who gets the glory. It's not about me. It's about him. Next thing is, not only are we dependent on God's power and grace, they're also devoted to God's mission. They're devoted to it. There's that word devoted, utterly devoted to it. Throughout the book of Acts, we see them praying. God has given us prayer because Jesus has given us a mission. It's really that simple. And you know, the question is, is I get asked a lot, why should we pray? Why should we pray? And the reason why I think people ask, why should we pray, is because they have nothing to pray for. Because you don't need to pray to watch TV. You don't need to pray to mindlessly surf the internet. You don't need to pray to go through a comfortable weekend-by-weekend routine of just going to church and making a part of it. When do we need to pray? We need to pray when we know that God is sovereign, that God is Lord of all, and that includes my life, and that if I am going to sacrificially give everything, I'm only dependent on Him. I can't be dependent on me. If He's in charge, that's it. I'm not. That is when we need to pray. When we realize we can't do it on our own. That's why we should pray. That's why we should pray. And I would challenge you that as we pray, we realize this final question. What do we pray for? What do we pray for? What do you pray for? What does God have us pray for? What did they pray for? Well, I saw three things that they prayed for in the stories that we talked about. The first one was this, the success of God's word. The success of God's word. They didn't just pray. They prayed for boldness to go out and preach. To go out and share the gospel. 
If I were to ask you to pray for the success of God's word and that you'd have to go out and preach, would you do it? Most of us might kind of take it back just a little bit because we were afraid that God actually answered that prayer. But God, I don't really want you to answer that prayer because that means I have to actually go out and I have to, and you know, that's, that's kind of the mentality. What if God actually answers it? See, they didn't just pray. They went out and preached. They followed up with the preaching of the word, and that's where they saw the harvest. St. Francis of Assisi said something similar to this, and I'm going to butcher it a little bit, but basically he said, go out and share the gospel with everyone, and when necessary, use words. I have one little twist to what St. Francis of Assisi had to say. It's always necessary to use words. Because no matter how I acted with my appliances this week, and I put on Facebook that, hey, you know, I just had to laugh about it. And somebody's like, oh, that is just so great that you just laughed about it because I would have done this and this. And I'm like, two years ago, I would have too. But it costs more to fix all the other things I broke. So the, uh, the, the thing is, is I can say, look what God's done in my life and how he's changed me over the last couple of years in, in that way that I might have responded. But you know what they're not saying? Can you tell me a little bit more about Jesus? Because of the way you acted with your appliances, can you tell me a little bit more about the way of Jesus and the follow, being a follower of his. That wasn't what they asked. Because it's not just about how we live. We have to actually pray and live it out, but we have to preach what we live with our mouths. We have to tell people about what Jesus has done in our lives, how he's changed us, how he's worked in us, how he's worked through us. So they pray for the success of God's word. And as we look at that, we'll see that preaching without prayer is just religious activity, but prayer without preaching is a missed opportunity to let God do his thing. The second thing they prayed for is the needs of others and the worlds around them. See, when they're praying very specifically, they're praying very specifically for Peter. And that's how God answered. And you know what they did as they prayed very specifically for Peter? Is they connected with Peter because they understood his needs. And as they connected with Peter, they built a relationship with Peter. And as they built that relationship with Peter, they were able to feel and have a heart for Peter. Who are you praying for that you have a heart for? How are you praying that people's lives would be changed, that you are desperate to see God work in their life? How are you praying for your neighbor? How are you praying for your family member? How are you praying for our state and our country and those unreached people groups around the world? How are we praying for them? Or are we even praying for them? Because we figure, you know what? God, you've got it all under control anyway. We're gonna let you do your thing. I'm just gonna do my own. Because see, when we begin to have a heart for others and a heart for the world, it changes the way that we approach things. I had somebody ask me yesterday at the prayer breakfast, so why are you guys going to China and not just doing something here? If there's ever a question you want to ask me, that's not the one. Because there are good questions and there's ones I want to choke you on. That's one of the choke you ones. Because to me, God's called me here. It's that simple. It's that simple. I can give you all the reasons that the kids with Down syndrome within the U.S. are A, taken care of a whole lot better, and B, there's a waiting list to get kids here where overseas they're literally being tied to beds because they're afraid they're going to cause self-harm to themselves, and the reason why they're causing self-harm to themselves is because nobody's touching them. You could Google it. Look at the pictures of Eastern European special needs orphanages. They are literally tied with bed sheets to the bed so they don't do anything. And that's where they stay all day until they have their diaper changed and get fed. That's why God called us there, if you really want to know. And the worst thing is, is when somebody asks me that question, I say, why aren't you adopting somebody here if you have such a heart for it? And it angered me, and I had to hold back everything once again because James, the book of James, being put into practice, stupid. You know, that, that's the... <laughs> 
I, I, was, I was not happy. And, and that when the question comes, it's like, you know what, don't question why I do if you're not doing anything. We have to have a heart for others and for the world. And wherever God's laid that heart, that's where we need to be at. You've been put on a mission. I've been put on a mission. And that mission also is the third thing we pray for. It's the spreading of God's worship. You realize that there are 36 times in the 28 chapters of the book of Acts. 36 times in the 28 chapters of the book of Acts it talks about the church growth because of prayer. And that wasn't transfer growth. That wasn't, we don't really like what's going on over at this church, so we're going to come over to this church. And, oh, look at this church all of a sudden started growing, and this church started dying. No, this was growth of people who were coming to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. It was new people who were worshiping God for saving them from themselves. That's an amazing, amazing thing. And God did because they asked. When we pray, do we pray for our comfort or for God's will to be done and Him to be glorified, for Him to be worshipped? That's the question I have for you that we're going to leave with. That's the question. As a matter of fact, I want to just take two minutes. Two minutes today to pray. As we get ready to go, And close in prayer with a group prayer. I'm guessing there's probably 60, 70 people in here. I might be, I'm a pastor. In pastor terms, there's like 250 people in here. And and I'm seeing that, and I'm seeing if we take the next two minutes, and all of us pray for these three things, the success of God's word, that God's word would go forth from this building today, that we would put it into application, that we would pray that God would open the hearts and open the minds of our neighbors and our friends. And if you go over to the mayor's Sunday is fun day thing over at Haynes Park, I challenge you to do it. Talk to people. Share with people. Tell them about Jesus if they ask. Because who knows, maybe God might just put you in that situation because you prayed and asked him. God, please send me somebody. Talk to me about Jesus so I can share the gospel. Hey, can you tell me a little about Jesus? It's going to happen if you ask, okay? So in the next two minutes, we're going to ask that. We're also going to ask for the needs of each other and the needs of the world around us. God has laid something on your heart, the needs of somebody. Somebody has just shared with you in some way, shape, or form. But there's needs of somebody. If you don't have a need that you can think of for anybody, I know uh, we had a visitor a couple weeks ago. Her name's Heidi. Heidi's got blood clots in her legs. She spent all day yesterday in the hospital worried about it. If you don't have anything else to pray for, pray for that. Okay? And you can tell, tell Heidi we threw that out there for her. But, you know, however you know, you know somebody who has needs. You, and if you can't think of that, think of a people group over in, you know, the Sudan where 99.9% of the country is Muslim and the 0.01% of Christians are being persecuted like crazy. Pray for them. Have a heart for them. Whatever it might be, pray for them in the next two minutes and pray that the spread of God's worship would continue. That it would be growth, not by transfer growth, but by new people coming to meet Jesus. So what I'm going to do, literally for the next two minutes, if we pray for two minutes and we have, let's just say we have 60 people, that's two hours worth of prayer. That's going up and praying for these three things. I want you to pray it out loud. I want you to pray for these people right now. And as we do, I'm going to have the band come on up and they're going to wrap up with a song called Unbroken Praise. And the words of this song are just amazing. We've never sang it in here before, not that I know of, not unless it was the one we were gone a couple of weeks ago, but the, the words of this song are so powerful where it says, you know what, let my deeds outrun my words. Let my life outweigh the words of this song. I want my life to do something. I want to go. I want, we talked about do something a couple of weeks ago. It's a great way to wrap up because not only are we going to pray, we got to add the preaching to the end of it. We got to go out and we have to share.
So what I want to do is I really want to pray right now. So of those three things, you have two minutes. Two minutes to lift it up to God. The things that God is, lay it out loud. You don't have to be quiet. It's okay. God understands gibberish. I don't understand it. I'm not listening to your prayer, but he is, and that's what it's all about. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to turn off my mic. I'm going to pray at one, two, three, and for two minutes we're going to do it, and during that two minutes the band's going to come up and they're going to wrap up. So let's pray together. Ready? One, two, three.